Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, we'd like to announce our new partnership with Therese Eyewear. Therese specializes in Polaroid glasses for outdoor folks like us that won't break the bank. Now, they have many styles to choose from, whether you're biking jogging, playing sports, or like us on the water all day where we need to keep that sun glare down to catch fish. Now with a lifetime warranty, 60 day fitment replacement, saltwater corrosion and scratch resistance, how much can you add, more can you ask for? Therese has something to offer for everyone. Now don't forget to use our coupon code TideChasers at checkout on their website at therese.com. That's T-O-R-E-G-E.com for a 20% off discount for all our listeners. Now, let's get on with the show. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode here on Tide Chasers Podcast, where each and every week we try and bring you new guests from our local neck of the woods. Now, whether it be a captain, a guide, a local Sharpie, Tackle shop, lure builders, artists, and even fishing TV hosts. Uh, once again, we always ask our listeners to subscribe, share, and leave us feedback on your favorite platforms. And also check us out on Waypoint TV Podcast Collective. Now, this week, we're sticking to the city I live in, which is the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Uh, the fishing around this urban jungle can be challenged at times, but there's a time and place for all our fisheries in this city. Uh, speaking of time, we're getting right around the corner to uh, where the striper anglers of the city, they wake up, they get their gear together because they're getting ready for the uh, spring migration of stripers that move up to our rivers to spawn. Well, today's guest has been targeting these bass for a very good, decent amount of time in this city and has even set up a business that caters to all our locos. Uh, now let's quit rambling and introduce a good friend of mine, Mr. Joe Pinto. What's up, Joe? What's going on, Kwa? How are you? What's going on? Good, good, man. All right. So, uh, as always, uh, as we kick off every podcast, we want to know a little background about your fishing, where it all started, early influences, any mentors you have, and uh, and what do you, where are you at today with your fishing? So basically, I mean, I started out 
with uh, trout and bass. Obviously, we have a ton of feeder streams that all obviously kick into the Delaware, which makes this a great place because we have a ton of feeder streams. And basically what I started out doing was fishing marsh for largemouth bass and all the creeks around here um, for trout and, you know, trying to get, trying to get some fall fish to get some muskies out of Marsh Creek, which obviously is never really as easy as it sounds. Um, But mainly just, you know, a lot of lake fishing, stream fishing. And then when that short golden period comes around and we get to catch them stripers, everybody's just a mad rush down to the river, any bank, any flat, any structure, just throwing literally everything and anything to try and get them. And then in the little breaks in between, everybody's running, chasing shad up the river. I know they have a huge following. I have yet to catch a shad, but hopefully that'll change next month. Um, And other than that, I mean, it's mainly been like my uncles, you know, my stepdad and just getting out on the local streams. And it's trout fishing is probably one of my favorite things to do because it's just been since I was a kid definitely not my favorite fish to catch of all fish but it's a fun one and i enjoy it brings a lot you know a lot of good childhood memories gotcha now don't get don't get me wrong guys joe is not just only a local philadelphia striper fisherman he does the jersey shore he goes to montauk he's fished with some of the best you know bill wetzel he's fished with those guys up there he's gone up to the canal you know he's done it all so i mean just because we're talking about Philadelphia doesn't mean Joe's not a fishy guy. This dude is fishy day in and day out. Yeah, I, I think I fish more than my girlfriend would appreciate for sure. Um, you know, everybody everybody likes to post a lot of stuff about fish they catch, but I, I try and keep it a little low key. I, I like to make people think I'm doing a little bit of work, <laughs> you know, and I'm not just fishing the whole time. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, yeah, I do. I do spend a lot of time in Jersey. I keep my my uh, my twenty footer in uh, in Manasquan, and you know that'll be there this entire season, actually. And then I do have a slip on the Delaware River where I chase all the bass around while they're here for their short period of time. Gotcha. So, give and take. How how long you've been fishing the uh, like the the spring run here for stripers? Striper, I've probably been fishing since I was probably 13 or 14 i would say and we would just you know toss worms out and hope for the best never really did too good till i started to get more serious into it and you know i've had a boat on the river since i was 14 is when we had our first boat on the river and we would just go anchor up on the uh, south end of tentacle island and just fish off the back of the boat but mainly it was about just getting out there when I was younger it didn't get serious serious so I got a little older and started chasing the fish around and getting crazy with it and realizing that the more you fish here the more you learn and the more you get to follow them as they go up which puts you at a better advantage compared to people that are just hoping to catch the fish in South Jersey we know when they're headed out we know when they're headed in you know when they're full of eggs you know when they're not full of eggs which um, obviously is, you know, nobody, you don't want to be targeting fish that are full of eggs, but people are going to fish for them no matter what. And yeah. the best thing we can do is just make sure everyone's handling the fish right by raising awareness for CPR and stuff. 
Yep, and we're getting to that section a little bit later down the line. But uh, before we get even get into the fishing and stuff around here, um, I recently heard and I've noticed, you know, you started a small tackle company called Delco Taco that specifically caters to the uh, the local guys here in Philadelphia and the uh, surrounding area during the spring run. Tell us a little about it, how it started, you know, some of the some of the stuff you carry and things like that. So basically, uh, the whole bait thing came about because it got to the point where there was just nothing. Like, there was nowhere to get worms. I mean, I couldn't even get earthworms. Like, Walmart didn't have anything. There was literally nothing. And there was a couple guys that were just kind of running around selling worms out of the back of their trucks. And um, so uh, anybody, you know, a lot of people in this area know Brian Labor. He actually died this past year, but um, he was selling a ton of worms and you know i kind of got hooked up with him and it obviously gets expensive and i was like well i gotta stop buying so many worms because i'm buying two three flats at a time for myself to go fish and i was like well i'm just gonna start selling worms to offset that cost a little bit and then that turned into uh, just a whirlwind of me getting out of control and just buying all these bait fridges buying a ton of stuff and I was like well I'm just going to start selling tackle out of my auto repair shop so I designed the whole front of the store to put all kinds of stuff in there um you know I got hooked up with Northeast Jigco um and those guys are great I had what I have I have like probably 20 20 pieces of their stuff between soft plastics heads you know all, all their all their good stuff that's going to be good for this area mainly you can use a lot of that stuff for striper but you know large mouth small mouth small mouth in the creeks and you know that kind of worked out really good i also got a bunch of gi jig stuff just because um you know i seen spader fishing with them and i was like you know what these are pretty cool so i'm gonna get them for myself and i'll just sell them in the shop too and uh, you know, they're, they're great. I mean, they take the craziest abuse out of any steel lure I've ever had. Like it's unbelievable how much abuse they take and they do work for largemouth bass. And the craziest thing is I started using the silver ones for snakeheads and they work great and they're a little tough in the weeds, but they're easy to rip out as long as you're controlled about it. And the snakeheads go crazy for them and they don't tear them up because they're really well-made. Um, and then as you know, I have a couple Ed point bags and I definitely always point people towards Miguel because his bags are amazing. I use them. I mean, I literally have five of them and you know, I, it's just, they're great. They're literally amazing bags. I have a ton of magic tail bucktails in the store. Um, obviously I have the terminal tackle and uh, this year, I think I'm going to get some Darby Creek stuff. Um, and then there's a, a couple other people I'm trying to get for this year, but you know, I'll keep that a secret for a little bit. Um, we always have bloods. We always have earthworms, terminal tackle hooks. We have tool. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I do most of the time have trout dough baits for the local guys and shad darts. Cool. Yeah. We had shad seasons right around the corner. Karen those shad darts yeah. can be super important, man. Yep. I'm actually going on a trip with JR in uh, what I think April, early April, first week of April, we're going to go, I'm going to break out the fly rod, try and get a shad on the fly. See how that works out. Ah, poor, man, poor man's first, tarpon, poor man's tarpon. Yeah, it'll be my first river shad. I've never caught one in the river. I've caught them in the ocean, but never in the river. Yeah. So shads, 
fast, but then also uh, when the the drum runs picks up, you do you do carry clams and stuff, right? Yeah. So so during the drum run, I will. I actually bought a fridge truck this year, so I will. You know, I always had clam, but clam gets tricky. So I just decided I'm going to go out and get a fridge truck. Um, so I, yeah, during drum season, I do have blue claws and clam. Very cool. And we'll yep. take your. We'll, we just take your blue claw and we eat them. We don't. We don't even use them for bait. Oh, uh, you know. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, like you said, so it seems like a few weeks away. We're getting near that full blown spring run. Um, as most of our listeners know, we are very we are a very conservative podcast and always try to protect our stripers at all costs and usually sway rate from striper tournaments. But the tournament you run is a little different than most tournaments, as it's a no kill tournament. Uh, it's a catch and release tournament only, and this would also be a perfect opportunity to educate everyone on proper hanging of bass because as we know mortality rates of bass no matter their size whether they're pregnant or they're ready for spawn or if they're small but their mortality because improper handling and you know we will use this as a leeway just to kind of teach the striper fishermen of our area that you know haven't been educated or haven't learned how to properly release fish so maybe it'll keep the mortality down a little bit better than it is already yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is educating the guy next to you because mm-hmm. you can't teach everyone. And people are going to fish no matter what, and people are going to fish for these fish, whether they're spawning, whether they're not. It, do- it doesn't matter. They're going to get fished for. So the best thing we could do is if we can teach every other person and that person can help the next person, then you're going to have a much further reach um on proper handling of bass and maybe someone can help you and and the biggest thing is proper tackle to get the fish in quick yeah because that water's you know not friendly at all in the delaware river whether it's freezing or screaming hot or the tide is going crazy there's trash everywhere it's it's a tough spot to fish and the most important thing is getting the fish in quick making sure you have the right gear and most of all when you get that fish out to get it right back in the water and if we can teach the guy next to you then that's great because we obviously everyone but if we can teach the person next to you that's going to pass it on then you know we did the best we could and the tournament is huge because a lot of people aren't in the tournaments but you know if we can get the message of CPR out and then people want to, Oh, what's CPR? Let's look, let's look into that. And they can take the two seconds to properly understand what's going on with the fish. We can cut that mortality rate way down. Cool. Now, before we uh, talk about the proper ways of handling fish, let's uh, let's talk about this tournament of yours. Like what gave you the idea of starting this tournament, especially that name? So, uh, yeah. So uh, first year of Corona, um, obviously everything was crazy and for me it was especially crazy um, because the first year of covid my landlord where i was actually sold my property gave us 30 days notice to leave because i was on a month-to-month lease at that point and you know everything was nuts and i was like i just need to like take some time and and fish this one out. And I was basically a canal rat for like three or four months. And then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to start a tournament. So that April came around. And 
I think it was, well, yeah, the West End tournament had decided they were cutting it. And I was like, okay, we'll do a completely virtual one. This is my opening. And we had a little trouble getting the legality of it straightened out because PA is tough with fishing tournaments and the way they want it registered. Whereas Jersey, you can just basically have a tournament and it's not a big deal. So um, we had a little pushback from the local fishing game. We got all that squared away. And then to keep everything safe, we did full virtual. So when you caught a fish, you just had to FaceTime me, you know, measure the fish. And the biggest thing is I wanted it to be inclusive of everyone because most tournaments are just boat or they're just surf fishing. But the river, to get it, you know, really to get a decent payout for these fishermen, what I wanted to do was do land versus boat. So the first year went great. We did land versus boat and uh, land actually won with the, what I think was 42 and a quarter inch fish. And it was awesome to see the land guys go out there and beat the boat guys. And it basically got a ton of recognition the first year. And the second year, you know, land won, or boat won the second year. And it worked out great. We had an amazing following the second year. Um, it was cool that a boat won, so it tied everything up. We had a really nice payout for the guys. I don't make anything on the tournament at all. I just give it all back to the fishermen. Um, and then I take what little money there is for the barbecue. And last year, we actually had an alligator, um, which I had flown up from Louisiana. I had Dan Good Jerky and Media smoke it for me. And it was actually amazing. It was one of the better wild animals that I've eaten that, you know, sometimes they're game, sometimes they're not. But this this gator was awesome. I loved it. Everything was cool about it. Everyone liked it. And we also had a pig from Cannoli's. So, you know, I like to eat and I like to fish. So putting those two together made for a really good couple years with dealing with COVID and all that other stuff. It was nice to just de-stress and just be around friends for the barbecue after everything kind of settled down the second year. I mean, that's the best part is the, uh, the cookout afterward. Cause I mean, the fishing's fun, but it's, it's the fun part afterward where the award shows and all that. And then like the incredible food, like I saw the food and I was just like, I was just mad. I couldn't come. And I was just like, <clears throat> dude, it had a gator and all- a freaking alligator. And I was like, that that's insane. Yeah, so- it was definitely, yeah, we had, we had the gator. What did we have? We had, the gator, we had the pig from cannolis. We had uh, crabs that I steamed up. It was it was a good time. You know, I really, I really enjoy cooking, and it was fun to tie everything together and finally get to see everybody have our little award ceremony. So hopefully this year is just as good, man. I really hope it works out just as good. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard you, you you got quite an amount of entries so far, and we're just trying to collect up the last week or two before we get this yep. thing officially started. So officially, how how many entries do we have so far? Right now, I think we're at 70. 70. That's, yep. that's pretty good for a tournament that's on the river. And that's 70 between both guys and, and uh, land-based guys? Yeah. So basically, the way I, I run it is there's, <clears throat> there's a main car- category, which is land versus boat. And then I do a separate Calcutta for just the boat guys and a separate Calcutta for just the land guys. That way, you know, there's three winners, potentially, or there could just be, you know, two winners if you play your cards right you know it doesn't make sense to do just the land and not the calcutta for your division because then 
you know, we would have three winners, which is cool, but you know, you're better off for $25. That's all the entry is. It only makes sense to do both. Yeah. Uh, so um, let, let our listeners know if they're from, I mean, this goes out. Does this, is it just our area or kind of like Jersey guys, Delaware guys, so, can they make so the, the, travel up here to fish it too? Yeah. So I wanted to make it as about the fish as possible um, because, you know, a lot of tournaments on the river are one specific area and that's fine, but you don't know where these fish are going to be. I mean, we have a good idea based on water temperature, but you know, overall, I just made it the entire river from the loose ferry line all the way to the Calhoun bridge, because when it comes down to it, we're going to go to where the fish are. It's not, we're, we're crazy. Fishermen are nuts. There's something wrong with us. And we're going to go where those fish are. So I want the tournament to be those two days, no matter where the fish are, go on the river, catch the fish. Let's see what you get. Get that fish back in the water and swimming away. So lose ferry line. Does that, does that include like the Delaware Bay? And the, and so the that's all the way, yeah, mm-hmm. that's from the Delaware Bay ferry line all the way to the Calhoun bridge. Okay. That's a long stretch. So there is a little salt the, in there. Some, there's a yeah, little the, salt in there mixed in there. Yeah, the entire stretch. I don't care where them fish are. Let's see it. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so how do they register? Like, what are the rules and regulations of the, uh, the actual tournament itself? So the rules are, um, <clears throat> it's, it's really simple. I mean, obviously it changes for the state that you're going to be fishing in because, mm-hmm. you know, we're in three states basically. So you have PA, Jersey, and Delaware. So you obviously have to follow all state rules. You have to have a circle hook um, because everyone's switched to that now. So you definitely have to have a circle hook. Um, as far as the rules go, I mean, I keep it real simple. You just follow your local laws, use a circle hook, and it's catch and release. Now, as far as entering the fish for it to count, um, once you're paid, you'll be entered into a private chat on Facebook. And that private chat is where you'll enter your fish. Um, obviously, it has to be measured properly from nose to tail. Next to it, you can't drape it or, you know, any kind of funny business with the ruler or measuring tape. And you just have to have a legit measuring tape. I don't supply anything. You do it yourself and you enter it into the group. And the big thing is that There's accountability through the group because we're all obviously going to be fishing together and we're going to know if something's not right. And then we'll check the ruler at the end, whatever you use to measure, whether it's a ruler or a measuring tape to make sure there's nothing funny going on with that. But the biggest thing is the FaceTime. You know, you're going to FaceTime me when you catch a fish, get it right back in the water, get it done quick. And uh, we do what I basically stole from Bill Wetzel. Um, because he has a good system with this, a hand signal. So the night before the tournament, I'll use a hand signal, and that's what you have to do in the picture and the live video. So I know there's no editing, no special funny effects, so we can make sure we get the most consistent results um, and no one's trying to cheat because I just I can't stand cheaters and just want to keep things honest. And I figured if we do it in the group chat in front of everyone, there's no – there's no way anyone can really, you know, I guess you could find some way to cheat, but we just keep everyone accountable and let everyone police each other, which is the easiest thing to do. Cool. Well, that's, that's, I mean, 
I mean, it's foolproof pretty much, you know, trying to wait out all the cheaters. But I mean, four years running it, you haven't had a cheater yet. You know, I think, I think most of the fish, most striper, striper fishermen are honest guys, you know, they're, they're and majority of it, you know what? They're, I, I honestly think, I mean, the tournament's fun and all, but I honestly think they're just there for like the camaraderie and like the fun between yeah. everyone. I agree a hundred percent. Most, I have people that just say, Hey, I'm going to give you money towards the tournament. I'm just going to go hang out. Yeah, I'm gonna go eat the alligator and like eat the pig yeah. and enjoy myself, right? That's yep. what it sounds like. So give and take, like with just the 70 right now, like what's 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 the payout looking at like? Give so I think we're at like we're a little over two thousand dollars, and basically what happens every year is we get real close to the tournament, and then I get flooded with entries. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm sure that'll happen again. Last year we were at five thousand dollars in prize money, which is awesome. You know, that's that's great. And uh, I think we'll get close to that this year. Mm-hmm. Do, do you guys do give, tackle giveaways? Too? I think you did do it one, one or two so seasons. This year we had So Fat Outfitters give away sand spikes. And I think it was sand spikes, rags, and a couple other things. Now, he, I'm, I'm waiting to talk to him. He said he's going to donate some more sand spikes and a couple other things. And um, we're going to see about um some donations on some tackle and stuff like that but generally um generally we don't get i don't get too crazy with the giveaways uh as it gets bigger i might but i try and keep it more towards like (coughs) as fun as possible and you know the more stuff you add the more complicated it gets gotcha totally understand but just in case any sponsors out there listening right now guys You, yeah. If you want to donate some you, stuff, yeah, yeah, Joe's always you know willing to take donations. You know, it's a CPR event. We'll get you out there. You know, a little representation. You know, we got hundred. We get we get a, you get a, a couple hundred guys hanging out at the barbecue at the end. You never know. You know, we had actually at the barbecue last year. We had 125 people. I think it was. There was not a single speck of food left. I barely got to taste the gator. <laughs> Luckily, I was the one cutting it up. Man. Well, that's got to be a good gator. Think about doing a gator this year again or something something so, new? So I'm not going to go with a gator this year. I actually have um, a bunch of uh, steak tenderloins, filet mignon. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like some uh, – a steak. I'm going to probably smoke a bunch of steak and get another pig probably from cannolis. Um, we were, I was working on getting an emu, but I actually couldn't get a big enough one. There was only 20 pounders. Um, they didn't have any 40 or 50 pound birds. So, you know, I'm going to go with the steak. I'm going to go a little more fancy this time, but still backyard barbecue style and get some nice flavors out of some stuff. Nice. Nice. Sound like it's going to be a party after a tournament. Can't beat that yeah, man. Definitely a good party. All right. Well, let's get into a little fishing for our listeners. Um, uh, so I'm assuming you've been, you already said that you've been fishing this river for a majority of your life. Uh, let's talk about the spring run here in the river. Like, When's it usually start? How long is this actual run last? And like, what are the best actually make doing this far up in freshwater? So I'm sure this is going to start fights. Always, um, you know, it always is. Start fights because people are going to disagree with everything I say and tell me I shouldn't have said this or that, or you gave this away and you gave that away. But when it comes down to it, I'm going to tell you right now, if you come by Worms for me and you ask me what what's up, I'm going to tell you what's up because at the end of the day, uh, you know, as far as secret spots, I'm not, I'm not going to blow up secret spots. And no. if you have your little niche spot that you 
think is yours. It's not. There's 30 other people that fish there. So mm-hmm. get off your high horse. Everyone fishes the same spot. We all have Google. We know where to, we know how to look and find spots. So this is a, a very debated thing. And, you know, everybody wants to see the on the water, watch the stripers migrate. And I just, you know, I just see things that are totally different from what that portrays and obviously they get their data later and they produce this thing and i know everyone goes by that and they're like oh they're here oh they're there no they're not that was from last week or two weeks ago so generally we'll see fish start biting not coming in but biting as soon as the water gets a little bit of warm around 50 ish but in my experience year after year after year is by the time you guys not you specifically but most people start fishing the big fish have been there and they left and i'm telling you that around march 3rd to 4th to that first week of march there's 40 inch fish already being caught for a fact yeah we've seen we've seen one way we've seen one way in what two weeks ago yeah and single year i see them big fish start to roll in and then there's a little lull don't get me wrong there's a little lull and then come april early april it explodes and most of the big fish are just absolutely running up the river to get up north and spawn um i've seen them spawn a couple times a little bit south towards philly but generally up north is where they do their business, which is their main, their main goal when they come in the fresh water, dump all that sea lice off their body, get up in the water and get freaky and get out of there immediately. But when it comes to when they get there, I have trouble believing that they come in March. Um, I honestly believe they're there in February because, you know, just the things I've seen, And don't get me wrong, there's tons of resident fish, and I'm sure there can be big resident fish, but I've just seen a lot of weird things in February, and and I'm not sure if it's just one or two or just the ones I've seen, but there's definitely fish in that river all year round, but I also think there's fish that come in there fairly early. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have that big network of anglers all up and down the uh, all up and down the river so you, you would know if if someone caught a fish and you know what i mean so i mean just that data alone translates to like what you've seen every year right so being, being the bait guy i know where everybody mm-hmm. always not wait to send me fish pictures right and you know sometimes i share them sometimes i don't but you know it's amazing how cold that water will be and people are still catching 40 inch fish it blows my mind mm-hmm now I mean, last year, a couple 60s in early april that's pretty crazy like how far not- how far do these fish actually travel up to though like like give and take so these fish technically will go the entire length up to new york um as far as they can go until they physically cannot go anymore now they also go up all the streams um i've caught plenty of bass in john hines and then i know people that catch them in Darby Creek and they will travel up there. If, if there's bait running up there, they're going to follow them. Now, the biggest thing is 
the eels start to come down from New York. And when them eels are moving, the basket fired up. It's, it's nuts. Between that, they're going to be chasing shad. So we all know the shad go all the way up and the bass are right behind them. Mm-hmm. We see every single year. Well, last year was a little bit of a lull for the guys up north. But, <clears throat> I mean, normally there's slobs up there. And the benefit to the, when they get up there is they will hit more plugs. Um, you know, down here it, it tends to just be a bait bite unless you get a nice day with clear water. Um, there's been plenty of times where if I see them, see them start harassing perch, I'll throw on a big X-wrap or, or some kind of swim bait, and they'll, they'll hit it. You'll definitely catch them on that or if you can find a place where you know the peanuts are coming in um they'll definitely hit top order lures around any structure and stuff like that so that can be fun but down south it's tough you only get those days a couple times a year and you know the guys up north do great on on top order on flies even um and that's definitely definitely fun to get up there and catch that too and when you say no, if you're talking about that whole stretch of like, you know, where like say the like the Trenton, Trenton Bridge up, up up past Trenton, you Trenton, know, and all, all the way up Lambertville, like all that yep. where all the shads run up in that area. Oh, anywhere the shad goes, them bass are behind them. Yeah. So usually, how long does this uh, this migration spring run of ours last? You know, how long does it usually give and take for them to make get up river, dump dump the eggs, and then run back out? So. You know, it kind of varies, especially because people will catch them, you know, into early summer and they think that that's a migratory fish when in reality, it's it's not going to be. It's usually a holdover or, you know, a bass that decided there's enough food here. I'm hanging out. I'm not doing anything. Um, and, I, you know, I firmly believe there's a large mass of fish that don't leave the Delaware Bay and just kind of run up the river, spawn real quick and just stay in the bay and hang out. And then there is a huge mass of fish that go up the river, out and straight up to Montauk, Block Island and run through the entire coast. Um, But as far as length of time, you know, I would say early March, they're getting in, they're they're staggering up on them mud flats and just hanging out where the water's warm and that mud's nice and warmed up. And then they trek their way up April, May. And then June, July, they're headed back out. And, uh, you know, I I think a lot of people disagree with that. But, you know, time and time again, I've seen them May, June spawning still. And that is definitely late. The water's definitely pretty hot. Um, And I know everybody kind of goes by that water temperature. But the Delaware River's thick, deep, and there's a lot of places where the water temperature varies greatly. I mean, just because the surface temperature is one thing, that doesn't mean five, six feet down. It's close to that because the water's dirty. It's cloudy. There's sand here. There's rocks there. There's mud here. So it's a very, you know, adverse terrain as far as the river bottom goes, which is going to change a lot of things. I mean, I mean, people don't realize our Delaware River, we have spots. I mean, you know, I work on the boat on the river and we have spots in the river that are like 60, 80 feet deep, like Absolutely. right dead center. And it's like, it's literally a ledge. Like you'll come off the banks and then like 40 feet out, it drops from like 10 feet to like 50, like yeah, right in the I- middle of the channel. So, I mean, hot, those hot summer days, those bass can duck into that 50 feet of water, 60 feet of water and just hang out and be cool. Yep. And then, you know, in the summer, 
a lot of times I've had a, lo- a lot of luck finding a nice deep hole. And there's actually a couple of them around the airport where there's just, it goes from five feet to 55 feet. And if you throw a nice bunker head in there, there there's fish laying in there and they're going to take it. And a lot of times it's stripers. You do get some big, big Cat, channel, big catfish in there, <laughs> big catfish in there. There's tons of big catfish in there. Um, but you know, there's a lot of really nice striper spots that are deep down when that water's warm in the summer. And then we got all those feeder creeks too, that they like to run up, you know, those feeder creeks always have cool water running out of there. Those feeder creeks are huge because they're an abundance of food. You have tons of stock trout getting just shot out of there on, Mm -hmm. on stormy days. There's tons of small bass. I mean, there's just an infinite amount of food going into the river and they'll sit by those feeder creeks and just ambush their prey, which is what they do best. They're lazy. They don't want to do a lot of work, especially them big fish. They're just going to sit there and ambush. Yep. All right. Well, just say we have these new listeners that they want to join the tournament. Um, let's, let's, let's help them out a little bit. Uh, like what's a typical tackle setup for the river? And we're, when I say tackle, we're, so we're assuming we're going to be fishing bait. We're going to be fishing worms, worm balls, all those. So, you know, you're going to... I tell people, I say, if you want your best shot to catch a striper in the river, your absolute best shot is going to be bait. Um, and, and it's a real simple rig. I usually personally use a fish finder, um, which I think is the easiest. And what I do is I do a circle hook. I do eight to 10 O depending on, you know, what I want to do or what time of year or what fish are around, because I really don't want to harm big fish with a small hook which is even though you're using a circle hook it still happens um so i try and stick with a bigger hook so they can't swallow it and what i'm going to use is a 10-0 circle hook a foot a liter to a swivel and then i'm going to use a fish finder slider and anywhere from a two ounce weight to a four ounce weight depending on the wind current and water flow that day and then as far as the the rod that i use i have my $90 $90 pen prevail that for some reason when I'm on the boat, it is just my absolute favorite rod to use. I just, you know, it's, it's a funny rod to use for that, but that's what I use. And I have it paired with a, a VR 150. Um, you know, you don't need a van stall. It's not necessary. I just have it. So that's what I use. You'd be fine with any pen combo or, you know, whatever you want to use from a boat because a boat, you're not going to struggle as much. But now when I'm fishing from land, um i'm basically using the same rig a fish finder rig you know a circle hook one foot leader to a swivel and a fish finder slider and then my rod and reel setup is going to be a mojo surf uh an 11.6 i think it is and then i have a um on that rod i believe i have a vs 200 um again you can use any pen rod a slammer i know everybody likes the slammers now, we do have that circle hook regulation in our river. Well, it's everywhere now. But, I mean, we, we originally started with the whole circle hook in our river way before this regulation even started. But uh, now, like, do you think that's going to affect the fishing style that, uh, of the, a lot of the older guys that have been fishing on this river forever? You know, the older guys are hook them and cook them. Hook them and cook them, hook them and cook them. And you know that. And, you know, a lot of people um, – are that way especially in this area man they 
a lot of Philly guys, uh, and I don't mean hardcore fishermen. I mean the weekend warriors. Mm -hmm. They're all hook them and cook them, and they want to go out on these party boats, and they want a million. They want so many fish, they don't even know what to do with it. They want to give it away. They just want to produce a prize, and their prize is that fish. And, you know, it, it's tough because when you're dealing with people that just want to bring home fish, they don't care what it is. It, it, it's really hard because it doesn't matter what hook they use. Yeah. Um, they're bring home the fish and, you know, they, they can't have law enforcement everywhere. It's just, you know, there's not enough, not enough enforcement and there's tons of people. But as far as your concerned fishermen and your actual weekend fishermen that are educated circle hooks are fine and they're going to do a great job if you use them properly and most guys are running a bloodworm sack made out of tool and you really don't have to do much you sit the rod in the holder or you can hold it and as soon as you get some tension on that thing and you see it start to move or run you know a lot of guys use the uh, bait runners and they'll just as soon as they see the fish start to take it they hit the lever and that fish hooks itself right in the corner of the mouth almost every time. Um, now you want to make sure you're using the right size. And I said that earlier, you know, you don't want to use too small of a circle hook because then it defeats the purpose. They're just going to swallow the whole rig and then you're, you're done. You know, you can't, your best bet at that point would be to cut the, cut the line and hope that fish survives. But really it's about using the right size circle hook and, you know, making sure that you want that fish to get back in the water. And the best way to do that is to just make sure you give the, the fish time to breathe and get it in quick. You know, you don't have to run 10 pound tests. You can run 40, 50, 60, and it'll be fine. Get them in quick, take a quick picture and get it back in the water. And then when you do get it back in the water, give her, give the fish a second. It's not like it just is ready to go. You can hold it. You can sit with it. Enjoy your fish in the water. Take some more pictures. As long as that fish is in the water and its gills are pumping, you're good. And you can enjoy that moment with that fish. Gotcha. Now, also, this is a big thing that these guys, I mean, it's, it's I mean, you guys have probably been doing this for years and then it's just like kind of broke the internet. These, uh, these worm balls, right? Now, is it, is it really a big deal? Like if, if to, to like, you have to use a worm ball to catch a fish. Or can I, can we do like the traditional slide one worm on there and kind of like have it dangled off? Because I know, I know a lot of guys know like, oh my God, $20 for a dozen of, you know, worms, right? Yeah. It's like, dude, like you guys, you guys don't understand like hardcore striper fishermen like Joe, they don't, they don't go out with a dozen. These guys come out oh, wow. with like, these guys come yeah. out with like 10 dozens, like for the day, <laughs> you know, they buy flats. They don't buy a dozen. They buy flats. Uh, so I'm not going to say that you need to do either one, one way or the other, but what I'm going to say is these fish are lazy and the really big fish are definitely looking for a larger substance. And I do see a lot of big fish get caught on threaded bloodworm rigs where they'll actually thread a jumbo worm that's about 10 inches all the way up their line and basically what happens when you do that is the little fish will kind of nip nip and pick at it the perch the small bass and then hopefully a big fish will just come in and kind of push them out of the way and take it however when i go fishing especially off the boat 
I'm putting five, six jumbo worms in a wrapper of tool, zip tying it to that hook, and the results are just better. Um, you know, I just do better like that, so I stay with it because it's consistent in pulling 40 to 50-inch fish up every time. And, I mean, I'm not going to say I only catch 50-inch fish or only catch 40-pounders or only catch 30-pounders, but the consistency of large bait for bigger fish is definitely better. And I 100% believe it puts more scent in the water, which is going to attract bigger fish. And, you know, over the years, it's just been more bait, bigger fish. So I stick with that and I'm there to catch the fish. So I know I'm going to bring a flat with me. We're going to bag them up to a little bit bigger than a golf ball and hope for the best. Now, is it just a worm bite in our river or is there, do we do that? Is there like a, a clam and bunker bite too? So years past, there's definitely been some bunker bites that have happened, but I'm not going to say that the bunker bite ever was better than the worm bite. Now, this year, I'm going to do a little experiment um, because I have stinky balls is what they're called. And I met the guy at the Oaks show and he swears that stinky balls are going to work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put two rods up and I'm going to go shot for shot and see how good these stinky balls are because I don't, uh, you know, it kind of sucks that some people can't fish with bloodworms because they're too expensive so if stinky balls is the alternative um then that would be cool to know uh he he was actually kind enough to give me some free balls <laughs> and you know we'll see if it works i you know i promised them i would i would try them out and see and if they actually even catch a fish i'll be impressed to be honest but if they do well i'll be shocked right, well don't spill those stinky balls in the boat you know how that happens yeah yeah man so typically like what type of structures are we looking for to target these bass i mean i know you're from a you do boat but then you also do land so let's uh let's let's separate into two sections you know like like what what in a boat what are you looking for and in land like what's like what's like the ideal kind of area we're looking for on like say google maps because we're not spot burning definitely not spot burning yeah definitely not spot burning um so what it comes down to for me is kind of the same thing for land and boat. So, but I'll, I'll give a, a quick, a quick tour on the, we'll do land first. So basically what I'm going to look for is I will use Google maps, but I'll only use Google maps after I've thoroughly checked my charts. And once I see a nice gradual slope, I'll check the area on Google maps and see if it's mud, sand, or rock. And what I'm looking for, if I'm going to be fishing from land, I like a nice, gradual increase early in the season of mud because what's going to happen i know everyone early early bird gets the worm but that's just not the case this early in the season because what i want to happen is i want that mud to get nice and warm and then i want that water to come flow back in on incoming tide and then those fish are going to push in tight and i see way too much once i find these mud flats What's going to happen is a lot of people walk right past these fish to go out all the way up to their chest and cast out as far as they can into the middle of the channel. And 
quite frankly, they're just, they walked past the fish. They might as well smile and wave as they went past because where I'm casting is, is way inshore from where they're casting. Um, you know, and it, and it's, it really just is, you know, paying attention to what people around you are doing. If you really want to learn, um, but basically I'll look for a nice gradual slope, check the area for mud. And, and if there, and then if I can park somewhere basically, and that's what I do now, as far as a boat, boat gets a little tricky because you don't want to, you know, crowd the guys that are fishing land. Cause you definitely want to respect them and you don't want to be in their casting range. Um, but generally I'm going to look for the same thing, a mud flat, the biggest thing I look for um, is a mud flat with a feeder creek that's running through it, because this is going to be the one few, well, not completely, but one of the few times you can get right in a feeder creek. And a lot of people don't understand that even though the water is traveling south out of the river, the feeder creeks kind of stay independent because of the way the water works and the temperature difference. They will hold against each other. And uh, I believe they call it the thermocline or I don't know the exact technical term, but you can always see it on your temperature on your uh, garment or whatever you're using as a fish finder. You'll see a temperature change that's odd at the feeder creek. And that's where your temperature difference is going to be. And the bass will sit outside of that. And as the stuff flows out of that feeder creek, they're going to just jump on whatever they want. Now, a couple spots of the river that actually runs through and has hollowed out the bottom of the river and basically made its own track. And it's really visible at low tide. Um, and in a boat, you get one of the greatest things. You get to go inspect your area. And if you're not doing your due diligence to go down and check where you're going to be fishing, you're going to struggle no matter what. But what I'm looking for is a nice slope on a mud flat where a nice creek or stream will actually run through that and make a track. And a lot of times there's big fish either sitting right outside that or right in it. And, and as soon as you go over, your fish finder is going to pick it up at your side scan or whatever you're using. And you're going to really be able to get in some nice fish. And a lot of times what happens is you'll see us boat guys kind of tight together and, and, you know, we're fishing the same area because there's a couple very well-known spots to just produce huge fish. And we're, we know what to look for. We're all looking for the same thing, that nice, that nice 54 degree water, a nice mud flat and a nice feeder creek to go with it. And you're going to find fish. You're 100 percent going to find fish that way. And especially the advice for the, uh, the bank guys, just make sure you guys don't go anywhere that's just that doesn't allow you to don't go be trespassing in the like you know, private land and stuff to find this. I mean, there's, there's places out there that are still public. So just do your diligence, do your homework and uh, find those spots that are public. You know, don't be sneaking on people with public land just to catch fish. It's totally not yeah. worth it. Yeah. You know, the easiest place to fish is usually where you're going to catch the most fish, because if you can get in without any problems, get your fishing done and get out, it's just going to make for a better environment. And then, you know, everybody's not going to hate you. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so we so we hook one of these massive cows making her way up the river, and I'm I'm just, I'm just going to make it as a scenario at the land base guys. Like, what is like the best way to safely fight her and get her to shore? And then like once we get her to shore, you know, best case scenario, like what's what's the easiest way like to get her length, you know, and then the photo, and then like a proper proper release. 
and handling. So the, the best thing I can say is once you hook a big fish, you're going to know it's a big fish. The, the, everything is different. Everything just feels different. Everything feels not strong enough and everything is going to start to worry you and excite you. And, and you know, when you have a big fish, you're going to feel it. And hopefully you're using tackle that is strong enough because I personally, I only run 80 liter and I run 40 to 50 pound mainline, which everybody says is way too heavy, way too hard. But, you know, I'd rather not even have the fish on my line than risk losing it because I've lost so many big fish because I just grabbed the leader real quick. That was for something else or, you know, tried to use a different rod because I wanted to fight the fish a little longer and it never works out. So I stick to 80 pound leader and 40 to 50 pound mainline because I don't like losing fish and I like to get them in quick. I get them as quick as possible. I can in the shore. And while I'm doing that, I ask someone to get a ruler if I'm going to measure the fish and to get their phone out. So as long as you have that ruler ready or that measuring tape ready and that camera ready, you get that fish in, you don't take it, don't drag it across the sand or the rocks, walk to the fish once it's at basically the water's edge, take the hook out immediately and as safely as you can. And if you can't get the hook out safely, just cut the line. It's not worth you killing a fish over a hook. That's just crazy. Um, and then the best thing you want to do is support the entire length of the fish. We're all guilty of holding fish up by the jaw. We all do it. It is wrong. I'm not going to say I don't do it. I'm not going to say you don't do it because we forget, we get excited and we pick the fish up by the jaw. And, and that's the worst thing you could do. You want to pick that fish up. You can definitely hold its jaw and you want to support the entire length of the fish because the fish isn't meant to be out of water being swung around and it's used to being buoyant and fully supported on the water. So you really want to get your entire arm under that fish or hug it or any kind of thing that's going to support the entire length of the fish. Get that photo as fast as possible. And then while you're going to release the fish and revive the fish is a nice, easy opportunity to get the length. And you can basically hold it next to it, whatever you're using to measure. And then you can just sit there and hang out with the fish while it's regaining its strength and regaining its breath. And then let it, she'll tell you when she's ready to go. She'll clamp down on your finger and she'll start to wiggle. Now, the biggest thing, with a safe release is waiting the amount of time till the fish is ready. Don't just let the fish go. Don't just throw the fish out. Just wait and relax. You caught the fish. You got what you wanted. Now you can just sit there with your thumb in her mouth and just hang out with that fish for a couple minutes because sometimes it does take two minutes. I've had fish take up to three minutes and fully swim away and they just need to regain their strength. Now they say, well, oh, that's too long. You killed the fish, whatever. There's no way that fish is going to come back. But, you know, we've had tagged fish that we didn't have recovered that were big fish. And I firmly believe as long as you wait the time that fish needs, she'll tell you when she's ready. She'll clamp down in some way on her own. The biggest thing is waiting the time that she needs. Yeah, you don't want to just – and if you have waders on – Walk her out, walk her in the deeper water, you know, just let yep. her sit, sit with her, you know, keep her there for a minute. I mean, like, like Joe said, she'll, she'll let you know when she's ready to go. And then just, I've seen it, you know, guys will literally just like, literally just do their measurements, whatever. And then they'll literally just shove the fish out into the water. And that's, I mean, they may swim away, but they're going to go belly up 
once they get you know out into that deeper water because they haven't had time to revive and now you get them to fight current so you know take your time if it takes two three minutes to sit to her, sit in the water with her until she's ready then do it you know what i mean yeah. like we need, we need these fish we need these fishes up the river to breed so they can come back and do it every year and get more you know it builds our you know builds our striper pop population absolutely cool all right. So we went through all that. That's all the good stuff. You know, we taught, we helped people out starting it for the spring run, talked about the tournament, talked about your shop. Now I want to talk about Joe. What's Joe, if Joe isn't fishing during the season, what's he doing in his spare time? So the fishing season for me is uh, pretty long. Um, you know, I start pretty much, I start fishing in April and I don't start or I don't end until pretty much December. Um, but when I'm not fishing or that little short period I have in between, I'm fixing boats, getting boats ready or doing my auto repair business. Um, but a lot of time is spent building boats, um, swapping motors. Cause I like my fishing boats to be excessively fast because of my car stuff. And I've built a, a couple of cool boats and I've done some fun work on your boat. And really it's, it's, you know, I, I really want to get into plug building this year. I have everything's all set up. And the main thing is just trying to enjoy all your time, but still make enough money to do the fishing you want to do. Um, fishing pretty much consumes most of my life besides building cars and boats and uh, the biggest thing for me is that fishing turns into an adventure. And when I'm not fishing, I need to be building something because the only other thrill I have is taking something apart, putting it together and either getting the blast on the water doing 50 miles an hour or building something cool for one of my friends. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's pretty standard. Lots of food. We like to eat. Yeah, we do like to eat. We like to eat. I mean, and then also Joe likes to build some of the most outrageous things in the world. If you ever walk to his auto shop, you'll know he, he's got projects beyond projects. I mean, he's even got this crazy looking camper that he's building for like fishing, man. It just, it looks so insane. The, yeah, the four wheel drive camper is going to be awesome. Uh, it's a bunch of different cars that I cut up, put together. It's definitely going to be uh, a cool thing to go to Montauk and, and the Jersey shore Island beach, stuff like that. And just camp on the weekend and fish, fish even harder, go on some adventures to hook up the Hobie and run down to Florida with it and just enjoy my time. Yeah. That's, that's something I always wanted. Like I told myself when I get, finally get that house with that yard and that garage, you know what, I'm going to build yep. me a freaking a four wheel drive short bus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, now this part here is one of our, uh, most of our listeners' favorite part because they want to hear a memorable fishing trip, whether it, it's a good trip or it's a bad trip. Okay. You, so you got to have one somewhere. My, my, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, the bad one first. So I was in Putacana with my family. I was probably 14 or 15 years old. And my stepdad's like, oh, we're going to go out on this boat. We're going to catch tuna and this and that. And, I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. And we go out in the ocean and it was like nine foot rollers the whole way out. 
and I was throwing up. I was sick as a dog. My mom was sick. It was just so bad. My stepdad was the only one that didn't get sick, and he probably was and just didn't tell us because he probably felt bad. So I'm basically laying there in the middle of the floor on this headboat trying not to just throw up everywhere after I'd already thrown up three times. And we hooked a Wahoo, and they're trying to get me up to reel it and reel it, and it was like a 50 wide, I think. And I'm reeling and reeling. I reeled for probably about two minutes, threw up all over the reel. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> and, and then I never, I didn't go back on a boat in the ocean for probably, I don't know. I probably didn't go back in the ocean for like four years on a boat. It was bad. It took me a while to get over that. And then as far as uh, a good memorable trip, I mean, to be honest, there have been so many good ones, especially recently. We've had such good fishing. But me and Miguel from Ebb Point went out this fall, and we had a phenomenal day when the bass were blitzing on Bunker at the beach in Manasquan. We just couldn't get away from the fish. I mean, we were throwing everything, and there were just 40-pound fish everywhere. It was a blast. Miguel did up get end up getting a 50, and it was just an amazing experience. We had fish all day long for uh, probably two weeks straight. And, you know, that was, that was a really good one, but, you know, I'm really excited to see what this year brings being that I have the boat in Manasquan for the full year this time. Definitely. Yeah. The last fall was pretty good, but I, I have a feeling this, this season's going to, it's going to, it might double that. So I, I, you know, you're feeling it is too. Cool. So, uh, so what are three bucket list fish that you would love to knock off your list? Like everyone loves to know every, every guest has a different bucket list fish. What are your three? So obviously, you know, I want to catch a, a tarpon. That's, uh, that's probably number one. You know, I want, I just really, those fish are awesome. They're cool. They're huge. I, I love the idea of getting them on the fly. Like that just is awesome. And then, I, oddly enough, I want to really pull a shad out of the river. And I think I'm going to, hopefully with the help of JR, I'm going to do that early April. On the fly would be amazing. I'm going to bring some backup spinning gear in case I can't put it together with the fly rod. And then uh, some permit, you know, I just, I would, or some bones, you know, I really like to get some bones on the fly, but I'm really starting to get heavy in the fly fishing. And I really, really want to get some, some cool fighters on it. Yeah, I feel you, man. That's 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 been my poison for the past two year year and a half, two years now. Just that fly rod. It's it's yeah. become, it's become an obsession. You know, I was actually in Manasquan last year, and I said to Ava, I said, you know what? Let's go to Manasquan. We're gonna catch a fish on the fly. I went there because I knew the mackerel there. I said we're gonna go catch a mackerel on the fly, and we're gonna come back and eat it. And she was like, yeah, okay, we're just going to go there, catch a fish and leave. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how fishing works. So I'm up there on the jacks with my fly rod. And I'm just, I, the wind was at my back. It was just a perfect scenario. Lay the fly right out there. It was actually, the fly I was using was an Albi whore from Bears Den in Massachusetts. Hook up on just the most random Mac that was in the, in the inlet. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy. Everybody's watching. 
I pull the fish in and she's like, wow, we really just came here, caught a fish and left. I was like, oh, you know, sometimes it works like that. So yeah, we had that fish on a salad the next day for, uh, for lunch. And it was amazing. Nice. Yeah. Those, those, those Spanish Macs are tasteful, man. Yeah. They're very good. Um, I mean, we haven't, I mean, they've been kind of MIA the last year or so ish, but you know, like hopefully they make the big push again this year and we see a lot more of them. Yeah. Um, what's the other one? Oh yeah. If you had a chance to fish anywhere in the world, you know, where would it be and what would you be targeting? So I really want to go to Puerto Rico to fish because everyone that I know that's in Puerto Rico, it's not, they're not big on fishing. Like, yeah, they like fishing, whatever, but they don't fish as hard as us. And everyone that I talk to from around there just like, oh yeah, you know, there's fish around, but whatever. And I really think it's a, a good opportunity to hit it hard. And I've looked at some of the charts and that, you know, that water drops off so quick. There's um, just a lot of opportunity down there to catch fish. Cause I don't think there's a lot of pressure there. I don't think there's a ton of guys surf fishing. Um, and I think there's plenty of good fish right there. I mean, absolutely in tight, you could probably get some rooster fish or even on a boat. Um, but you know, I really want to try and target that area and I'd love to go to Puerto Rico. I mean, those aren't that, that's, that's, that's a pretty decent game plan to do. I mean, it's not a high, not a high fishing area. It's not really doesn't have a lot of, no, it isn't. And you know what? It's all the best thing to do is now you got to find time to do it. Yep. I mean, I don't think Ava would mind going on a vacation, which is probably not. Of course. Absolutely. All right, cool. So this is the end where we start wrapping things up. Now, uh, before we start wrapping things up, I don't think we uh, let the listeners know where they can register for the tournament, actually. Okay, so where they can register is uh, on Facebook, which is Corona Fishing Tournaments. And basically, you can send me any electronic money. So it would be Cash App, PayPal, Zelle, Venmo. I accept all that stuff for payment. Um, and then once you're paid, I'll actually add you into the private group chat, which is just for the tournament entrance. And that's, you know, to police each other and everybody can talk smack and whatever they want to do. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, lace me with those social medias, Facebook, Instagram, you know, wherever people can reach you, either about the tournament, uh, where they can pick up bait, blood worms and stuff like that. Or even if they wanted to get some some work done on their boat. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm at 50 Hook Road in Sharon Hill, PA, uh, 19079. And then the Facebook is Delco Tackle, and the Instagram is also Delco Tackle. Um, my YouTube, if you want to see any boat work or any fishing, is Joe Pinto. Uh, keep it simple with that one. Um, and, yeah, that's basically it. Sounds good. All right, once again, guys, it was an incredible show with Joe. Joe was an honor, man. We're definitely going to get out and fish a lot more this year. Yeah. You know, we've just been we kind of busy doing everything, man. I'll bring you back out on the Grady. We'll go hit some big fish. Yeah, we'll hit the Grady. You know, we both got Hobies. I don't yeah. know. If I don't know if your Hobies back together yet after you blew uh, up that yeah. motor. Yeah, I did. Yes, so, I did. So, uh, yeah, well, we got my Hobie, so we're good to go. Perfect. Cool. All right, brother. It was uh, definitely – thanks for having you on. Um I'm going to stay on a few minutes to do a uh, quick outro. And uh, besides that, I'll see you in the water this year. Uh, I'll see you, dude. All right. Good night, bro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that 
concludes another episode here on Tide Chasers. Uh, hopefully you guys listened and learned a bunch of new things about this uh, little urban jungle we have here in the city of Burley Love of Philadelphia. Now, I mean, we do have other species in this, uh, in the city. We have, you know, we got flathead, we have walleye, we have a little bit of everything, but the special thing to us is the small little window of the uh, striper run. And every year, everyone gets together. There's families that get together just to just to go out and spend the day, just to try to target some stripers. Um, but the most important thing is that the only reason we uh, pretty much brought up the uh, tournament and promoted it and helped out a little bit is because this is the opportunity for us here on Thai Chasers to um, to try to educate anglers out there about you know proper handling of fish. Now, Joe said, you know, get the fight in the suit as quick as you can. Get them in the, get get the hook on hook. Least least amount of them out of the water. You know, try to keep them in the water. Get your measurements. Get your photos. Top in the water if you can. If you have waders, if you don't have one of your buddies that has waders, walk with walk the fish in the water and sit there with her. Enjoy it. You know, you put all that time, all that money into catching this beautiful, you know, forty inch bass, forty five inch bass. Um, take the time to absorb the reward that you guys are both enjoying together. You know that. That, in, that time between fishermen and trophy fish uh, is a very special time. So enjoy your moment. Don't, don't, you don't have to just set her free instantly. Enjoy it. Look her in the eye. You know, thank her for a, a tremendous time. And you know what? Let her go. You know, let her go. Let her breathe. Let, let her go up the river. Do her thing. And then uh, who knows, man? Maybe you'll see her in another two, three years. And she's now she's 50 pounds. Uh, so as always, uh, like, share, subscribe, leave us a comment on any of your favorite platforms. Find us on Waypoint TV. And uh, besides that, I'll see you guys next time on the next episode and keep those lines tight.